was quite a compilation of scriptures, wasn't it? Probably spend the whole sermon time just pondering each section there, and we will ponder some of it as we get into this. Before we begin, let's have an added word of prayer. Father in heaven, I trust that you can lead us, that you can guide us, that you can send your Holy Spirit upon us, and that you can send guidance from above so that we can understand your word, and so that I can apply it to my life even as I speak it. For I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this Oneness and Overflow. For out of that scripture reading, it implies that we are one in Christ, that we are one body. And the way that that comes about is having the mind of Jesus in each one of us. And so as we've discovered, we need to know Jesus. Not just know about him, but to know him ourselves. And I'm going to share with you now a familiar story to open our sermon with. This is in Matthew 25. This is a story that could describe easily a regularly occurring event in the ancient Near East, a marriage, if you will. People waiting for the bridegroom and the bride to come. And this story in Matthew 25, Jesus tells it, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps, went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now you've probably heard different sermons on this or different explanations of this over the years, but it, it is basically a regular process that would occur. You would have the bridegroom and the bride going through a procession up and down some towns, lots of streets, other towns, not so many, if you have a smaller town like a Bethlehem. But they would go up and down the streets, and people would shout, and they would throw thing, grain and different things at them, celebrating with the bridegroom and the bride as they were headed eventually to their destination. And there would be people along the way, such as these virgins, who would be there to celebrate as the bridegroom and the bride came by as well. And so they're anticipating a celebration. They're anticipating joining this procession and as they're anticipating this procession, when they would meet the bridegroom, five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. It was expected that there could be delays in this procession. Can you imagine as the procession gets bigger and bigger through some narrow streets of an ancient Near Eastern town, that procession could hit some congestion. Uh, not the kind that we see up at Cyprus necessarily, that, that, that the traffic and all of that, but they could s begin to slow down as the crowd gets bigger and bigger, as the procession gets longer, as they begin to progress through other parts of the town. And so you would expect then that if you were looking for the bridegroom to come, then you would prepare for a possible delay. And that's what some of them do. They, they take their lamps, they all take their lamps, there are some who are foolish who don't take any oil with them. They have the oil in the lamp, expecting that that would be enough. And so the wedding party is delayed. The celebration, you can imagine, they could probably even hear it from a distance at times. And that false expectation that somehow the oil in their lamp would be enough is that, story, that false expectation becomes a hindrance to them. Look at verse 4. The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. All of them slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. That is a common expression when this procession is taking place. You would have people coming and shouting, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, behold, the bridegroom cometh. And so they hear that familiar cry. And all those virgins rise up, trim their lamps, and you could imagine them trying to light lamps that have no oil in them. 
Imagine it was you. You know how you've been out in the forest sometimes. I've done primitive fire. You take the bow and all of that, and you do all that method. But imagine you've got something to strike a fire with, and you're striking, and there's nothing, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Here they are trying to strike and light a lamp with no oil in the reservoir. And we're not talking huge lamps. You see some small clay lamps that you would carry around from place to place, and their lamp oil has gone out. And so the foolish ones say to the wise ones, and this is a key point, give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. They needed extra oil. They knew where to get it at, but for whatever reason, they lacked the willingness to prepare for a possible delay. The wise ones answered, saying, No, not so, lest there be not enough oil for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell, buy for yourselves. They should have done it as they were delayed anyway. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, I say to you, I know you not. And Jesus has the clincher right at the end, like a rabbi would do, a law of end stress, they call it. He would put a punchline right at the end. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. This is applying to us. Whether we realize it or not, it's applying to us. And the story beckons and says, which group are you in? And the bottom line is, the end time problem is, in the church, is there's no oil amongst us. Amongst some of us. And as I read that, the question came to me, Murray, do you know Jesus? Do we know Jesus? Are we focused on him? Because that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? It's the oil that's needed, really, is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we're told over and over again through scriptures that the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. So we need to know Jesus to have that infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's no accident that Jesus used those very words in that story to get our attention and say, do you really know me? Because the ones who are excluded from the kingdom are the ones who do not know Jesus. And not just up here, but they know him enough to expect him to tarry. And as I think of Jesus coming back, the question is, are we impatient? I mean, as I, as I hear things going on in the world, and I, I'm familiar with it as well, I'm familiar with lots of things, am I saying, Lord, I just want you to come and end all this junk? That could be a decent prayer. But could it be better to pray, Lord, if you have to delay to save more people, then do it. If I know his heart well, and I think I'm starting to know it more and more as I get older, it's this is the point of Matthew 25. It's about knowing me, God says. Knowing I delay to joyfully save more people, not to give you more ugly headlines to read. I talked about that last week, and I know some got caught on that one as far as th that was something that needed more explanation. So that's why I'm starting with it this morning. God does not delay so we can read the paper more. He delays so that we can realize and believe and trust him and realize that there are more people being saved because of this delay. There is a work for us to do to actually speed up or hasten his return. Peter makes it clear, and it has something to do with a converted heart. 
And so the bridegroom in the ancient Near East would delay because a celebration was occurring. And I can think of no other celebration that's more paramount to eternity than a sinner repenting. Jesus himself says in several stories, one of which our young people in um, primary, excuse me, Mitchell's class, all right, I get the age mixed up, is studying, and that's the parable of the lost son. Or as some say, the parable of the lost sons. One who doesn't realize he needs being saved, and the other one who realizes he is far from home. And as I think of that story, and the lost coin, and the lost sheep, there's that one main point that Jesus makes over and over again. There's more joy in heaven over how many that repent? One. So if one person is repenting, then you find joy takes place. In essence, a celebration occurs in heaven. And that's why I'm saying if the bridegroom delays because he's celebrating, which I believe that's exactly what's happening, he is trying to save as many as possible, then I need to do something while he delays to preserve my heart for salvation. I need to daily repent. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God wants all to come to repent. He wants them all. doesn't mean they're going to, but his desire is for as many as possible to be saved. He's not slow as we count slowness. He wants all to be saved, Peter says. So what am I going to be doing while I wait? I'm going to maintain a relationship with him. I'm going to then, out of that overflow, share with others. And, and that story of Matthew 25, as I looked at it carefully, the oil is really the hint. The oil means we have to be imbued with the Holy Spirit. And the only way that can happen is by knowing Jesus Christ. You can know all the prophecies. You can know all the fundamental beliefs of the Adventist church. And if you don't rightly know them, they will be disconnected from Jesus. But if you rightly understand them and see Jesus in them, you will find even all of the things that we teach. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not some shallow thing, but Jesus. And so I believe the oil is only going to fill us. And we're told that there's even going to be people that the Holy Spirit's falling on all around us and maybe we want, it might not be falling on us because we need to know Jesus. Each one of us personally. And you can't come to me and say, give me some of that oil. I can point you to where to go, but you have to go there and I have to go there. Each one of us has to do that. And so do I spend a lot of time watching media? I'm on Facebook, I'm on other things. Media in and of itself is not bad, and I've touched on this several times, but the amount of time I spend on it has to be guarded because I know that it can take time away from Jesus. It could even be I'm watching Hope TV on it. It could be that I'm even watching a beautiful sermon or a song on it, but it doesn't matter. If it, I want to spend time directly with Jesus, not secondary sources. Those are fine. They point me to Jesus, but I need to then go and spend time alone with him myself. And that's why those study guides and things were developed. It's not because I'm saying, here's the way. It's just saying, this is what I'm trying to do to stay connected with Christ. You may find a different method of doing it, but whatever you do, don't let other things take the time that you should spend with Jesus. And of course, there are some things in the media you should never watch anyway. And so, why is, it, is this such a temptation for some? It's because... Oftentimes, we look for things that would pet our human nature rather than that would point us closer to Christ. That's why I keep touching on this idea of being careful with our media use. It has nothing to do with me trying to condemn anybody. It's just a matter of saying it's one of the number one 
faith killers as well as it could also build up our faith. So we must use it wisely. And so Matthew 25, key point, I got to know him. I got to spend time knowing him. Once I begin this journey, then I can encourage others. I can say, this is where you go. This is where you go to get the oil. Hopefully it's not too late by the time they choose to go there. Hopefully they choose to take that journey soon. But I noticed in this text, and I've been noticing in my gospel reading, that most of the people that choose to reject Jesus, there's a text in Mark that says that they feared him. Feared Jesus. Can, can that ever, I mean, does that make sense? I mean, the Pharisees and Sadducees feared him because the crowds followed him. The Pharisees and Sadducees, literally it says, they were afraid of him because of what he did in the temple. So you find, and he's saying this is a house of prayer. So you have this fear that leads them to crucify the very one who's calling them. I believe that is what can happen to us as well. If we have a steady diet of fear, then our lamps could eventually go out. And could it be that we may not even notice it because we're addicted to fear? So as I think of this, knowing him, I have to reject other things and say, what does this have to do with Jesus? And if, as I come closer to Jesus and you come closer to Jesus, if we're all coming closer to the same source, then we all will eventually have what Jesus says, you will be one or oneness. And then as we are one united body, we can unite and share a gospel message a lot far farther than I could share on my own, a lot farther than you could share on your own. We could unite and share it and multiply rather than just add. And so, as, however, if we see each other, this is my point for myself. Murray, if you can see each one of us needing Jesus, you can see every believer in this congregation needing Jesus. They may be at different stages of knowing him. Then that gives me patience. It literally gives me patience because I don't know everything and I know, maybe, maybe you all know everything, but I know not, none of us know everything, but collectively, the wisdom of the crowd, the, the group coming together as one body, we can uplift Jesus more fully together than we can apart. And so Christ is truly the uniting link. Christ is the one that we need. It says Christ is the uniting link in the golden chain which binds believers together in God. There must be no separating in this great testing time. No separating at this time. Especially over trivial things. It has to be then, the people of God are, know that they are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple of the Lord. It's not this building. It's not our church budget. It's all about people here. We're using these means and these talents and this time that we have to build up the kingdom of God. That's what happens when we know Jesus. That's what those people who were foolish in the parable needed to do, is they needed to know Jesus. And how do we do it? The children of God constitute one united whole in Christ. Not parts, but we are one whole, one body in Christ who presents his cross as the center of attraction. All who believe are one in him. If there's something that comes between any of us, it's probably because at a, for a moment or some space of time, we are, for whatever reason, not focusing on the fact that Jesus is our leader or, that, or that, that he needs to guide that situation. 
It's almost like pride and selfishness takes over, and, and eventually something that could be solved in five minutes, it takes forever to, sol- to solve because we're not focusing on Christ. If I focus on Christ and somebody comes to me, I take it as a loving rebuke. If I'm not focused on Christ and somebody comes to me, I have some ancient roots in my ancestry that are a fighting nature. And I can tell you then how I'm going to respond to that with my human nature. I'm going to be like, I'm going to bury this thing. And I'm going to use scripture to do it. See, that's a bad human nature example, right? That could happen. We could, we, but if I'm looking at Christ and saying, you know what? He even rebuked the ones who were going to kill him lovingly. He even called the one who betrayed him friend. Then, as I behold those examples, I then can treat others the way Jesus wants me to treat them. And then we become one witness, one united whole. And as one united whole, imagine us marching forward step by step in Jesus. The devil can't even begin to break us apart if we are united in Jesus. And he would tremble then because his whole valley and the mountains surrounding it and the area beyond all throughout, it would be a, a, a ripple effect. The world could see Jesus, and it could even begin at a place like Anderson. God could use Anderson to reach the whole world for him if he had to. If, he want, if that's what it came down to, he could use this congregation here. If there was all the other congregations obliterated, he could use this congregation to reach the world. That's my BHAG, my big, hairy, audacious goal, is to see us be that type of part in the plan of salvation, not just here at Anderson, but beyond. And so that's why when I read the Lord's Prayer, I read it with the oneness lens. Look at this prayer. You notice I highlighted it in red. All of the plurals in this prayer, we looked at this prayer, and as we looked at this prayer, we were focusing on how there was a personal relationship with Jesus in it, but did you notice how that has a corporate element? Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's not just that it's supposed to be said in a corporate setting either. It's, it's implying eventually those disciples would pray a united prayer because they love Jesus. It would be the Lord's prayer of each one of their hearts and then corporately it would be their prayer together as well. And so I see the Lord's prayer as a way for us, as an example of us. If we all each know Jesus, we can pray this prayer because we're united together with him. And so my private prayer, my devotion time should lead me to a plurality. So I'll say that again. My private prayer, my time alone with God should lead me to a plurality. That means us working together. Not me trying to be Superman and do everything. Because I've pastored small churches where basically they're going under. Their finances, are they can't even afford the, the building, utilities, all of that. Pastor, what can you do for us? And I'm like, I've got five of you all. I've got five of you congregations, and what am I going to do for you? I'm going to point you to Jesus, and we're going to prayerfully say, God, what can you do through us? And the congregations that would choose to follow that path, that say, you know what, Christ is our head. He is our leader. The pastor is basically pointing us to him. Those ones would grow. Not because somehow I'm out there giving 50 Bible studies and, and 10% of them joined the church that year. It, it was not that at all. I couldn't even get into some of the homes in some of those towns because they, they did, I didn't have the relationships that those members had. And so I relied upon those churches 
to us together unite and seek God and then see what he can do through us together. And so this implies oneness. It also implies unity of purpose. We are here today because of what purpose? We've kind of reworded it, but that's basically the gospel commission over there on the wall. And so then the way that we pray together and the way that we minister together ends up being called an overflow. Because we're all one with Jesus, we see that we all need each other, and then we all flow out, out of that relationship. This, it flows out of our hearts to, to others. And imagine 100, 150 people all sharing Jesus versus one person sharing Jesus. It's an amazing equation of multiplication. It's what we call compound. We call it compound interest and investments and all of that. Can you imagine Jesus investing in one whole congregation, each one knowing him, and each one reaching one or two people in their neighborhood or their friends or their family circle? Imagine how that would just blow up as far as it would compound in the numbers. And Mark makes it clear. Jesus appears to the 11 as they were there reclining. This is after his resurrection. He reproaches their unbelief, their hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. We find in Mark that the goal of Jesus was for them to believe that he had risen, that he wasn't dead, that he was alive, that he was right there in their midst. And people who brought that message to the group, well, some of them had hardness of heart. They wouldn't even accept it. Happens even today sometimes. And he said to them, as, after, as he's dispelling that unbelief, go into all the world, not just you, Peter, or you, John, or you, James, the top three, right? You all are going to go into all the world, proclaiming the gospel to all the creation. And it's not saying talking to the trees out in the hills either. It's talking to the people <laughs> that are around us. I agree. There may come a time where we have to work the cities from the trees, but let's not let the trees be our mission field. We have to, we have to find like John the Baptist and others, ways to, 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 to interact, to keep our, our minds pure and focused and, in a way, our hearts secluded from the things that are all around us. But we then must also keep, the only way that's going to keep it really pure is to reach the people around you. And so we're his eyewitnesses. And then as we are together and we see that we have a, a huge mission, I mean, that's a huge mission to go to all the creation, all the world. That's going to take all of us we're going to have to be one together, united together, and then share out of that overflow. This very year, we have some goals that were the result of that vision quest about a year and a half ago. That's what the survey is. The survey is pretty much the capstone on the whole thing, the project, but we're going to continue from there. And one of the goals we had was to find out the needs of the community, begin meeting those needs, and then you invite people to follow Jesus after you've won their confidence. And one of the needs we found out was there were very few resources for young families, especially with children that were underneath the teen years. I mean, we've got a teen center, we've got other things. And so this very year, we're going to need a team that's going to be developed to, to reach some of those young people. It's going to look maybe different than what we had done we've done before. We've got people out of Red Bluff coming to offer a dental clinic to that age group. We've got God in uh, God's closet is going to be offering clothing to the, that age group. We've got a lot of need things being built up to basically a week-long children's series of meetings. But we're going to need people to help with that. You know, that's, that, I can't do all of that, and you can't do all of it by yourself. That's just one example of the many ministries that are going on in this church already. 
So we need everybody on board as far as possible. Maybe you're not involved in every one of the ministries of our church, but find a way that you can get involved with something here, yes, as we're uniting together, but also in your personal time. Find ways to share Jesus. It could be the, that, the flea market ministry where you're delivering literature to people. It could be with AY that you're going out and you're feeding people. It could be all kinds of ways. And I know many of you are already doing it, but let's keep doing it. Our time is not necessarily on our side as far as how much time we have left. The Lord is saving people rapidly. We find there's thousands each and every, in some countries, every single hour that are coming to know Jesus and joining with our church. So we find we have to then stay connected here at Anderson to God, to each other, and then with that world around us. For if we are not connected with the world around us, we end up being those goats in Matthew 25 who don't really know Jesus because things were presented to them, needs were presented, and they did nothing about it. And they're like, well, where were you, Lord? I never saw you. Well, and he goes and he identifies. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And so we find if we're connected with Jesus and we see then people that come to us in, our, in God's divine providence in our daily lives, then we say, you know what, I'm going to minister as Jesus ministered to this person. He's brought this one before me now, this other one in the future. So out of knowing God and working with each other, we then unite and share with the world the need around us. And so that's why we had this whole theme. We were talking about being led by the Spirit, and so we have those devotions. We were talking about knowing our mission. Why, what is the Spirit doing in me? We talked about having corporate prayer, our Father in heaven. We talked about having daily devotions, staying connected with Him. And today we're talking about this one, how we are His disciples. And out of that overflow comes the preaching, the sharing, and the healing. And eventually, in a couple weeks, we'll wrap it up with that's what brings about face-to-face communion with Jesus. Face-to-face communion with Jesus in the future, it means that we've had face-to-face communion with him now. And you say, that's not humanly possible. Well, I'm sorry, but as I read my Bible, I see Noah, I see Enoch, I see Elijah, I see lots of people. Moses, God says, I knew him face-to-face. I didn't just come to him in dreams and visions. Uh, some of us aren't even having dreams and visions either. So maybe we should say, God, maybe you should take that step first. You know, Maybe get to know him and ask him, say, Lord, I want to really begin to see you in my life. Not just as words on the page or as a subject to be studied, but as someone to be in my life. And so that's where we're headed as far as when this series ends. It's going to happen at his coming when he ascends. When we ascend as he ascended, we're going to ascend up and be with him forever. So this is where we're going with being like Jesus. And how does this work in the church then? Well, It's pretty much the way Jesus talked about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself, right? You could summarize it like that. So we have this oneness with God. We have this oneness in the church, which flows from our daily devotions and our willingness to foster unity. If we're not willing to unite together, or we're willing to hold on to things from the past that maybe even were wounding us, then we will not have unity here at this church. But if we, through those daily devotions, we come to Jesus and we begin to forgive each other and and I'm not saying there's anything I know about right now. I'm just saying, I'm telling you this to be preventative mostly. Then that fosters that oneness in the church. And out of that oneness, we're empowered by that same spirit to then reach out to those around us. Oneness brings the overflow. If you do it the other way around, you end up like I was at first. I was really excited about Jesus, a whole lot of hot air, but really not a lot of substance to it. 
you can share literature with people that you could even care less about. But if you love Jesus and he brings them into your path, then all of a sudden that still small voice says, this is somebody whom I want you to spend eternity with. Then that love boils out of your heart and you share out of that overflow. It's not the number of pieces of literature you give out. I used to go door to door and I would just hand out literature like robotically. That's not what it's about. It's about the face on the other side of that door and can you see yourself with that person for eternity? That's an overflow heart. Saying, yes, Jesus. They're smoking weed and they're doing drugs and and I see some meth burns on their body, but I'm trusting that I want to be with them for eternity, that you can heal all that, that you can heal their heart and help them realize they don't need those things to really be content and peaceful in life. And so that comes out of all of this. And if I share when I don't, have an, I don't have this oneness, then I'm really not sharing out of the overflow. It'll eventually drain me and get me to the point where I'm so tired I can't do it anymore. So if you feel that way, you're, you're not sharing out of the overflow, neither would I then. This has to happen. And for me, it seems like, because I'm in church work a lot, in committees and different things, it always happens apart from church work. It's with the neighbor. It's with the person down the road that I don't even know. It's with family. It's when I'm on vacation. Yeah, that's when it happens. And it's also when I'm going away for classes. You know, it's like the Lord says, all right, Murray, you, you preach it. Let's, let's, let's not just preach it. Let's, let's, I'm going to bring some people in your path as you're on this journey this time. Keep your eyes open for my leading. And it's so surprising, the people that he brings into my path. But that would not happen if I didn't have this. And so, yes, there's that whole process that leads down to that, but ultimately it's all about Jesus. He's the one I'm praying to. He's the one who's really guiding our church, and he's the one who is leading you to point them to him so he can embrace them. So it's all about Jesus Christ, and that's really the final picture, is that I want them to be able to stand in the presence of Jesus as a friend, talking to him face to face just like me. There's a beautiful quotation in Desire of Ages. If you haven't read that book, feel free to get it. It's a beautiful book. We've got some copies in the office. It said about the disciples, if they labored in connection with him, his divine power, combining with their human effort, which I know sometimes doesn't feel like much. I, can't, I don't always have as much time. Other people have plenty of time, but sometimes, like my grandfather, when he gets older, he can't do as much. But do what you can. Because that human effort. And if you tell me that you can't do anything, let me ask you this. How much could Jesus do on the cross? Physically. I mean, come on. He's laboring for every breath. He's in pain and agony the whole time. Numbing pain and the weights of the sins of the world upon him. And yet he tells the guy who has faith in him, you're going to be with me in the kingdom. So that, those little words have echoed down through time, have, create, have, have created power, even if you can only utter words or thoughts in your mind towards somebody. That can last eternity to eternity. And so that's going to be our success. We're going to behold him. Yes, on the cross, he didn't, he didn't seem like he was doing much. But he was resurrected. And out of that power that he provides to us, helps us be humbled as we consider the cross, helps us be humbled to consider he's risen and it's his power that we need, then we can share him and then we will see him face to face. That's my goal. 
That's my goal of my personal devotional life, is to share Jesus and be with him face to face. I hope uh, the devotional life of each one of us here is to that effect, not just to get through a few chapters or to say you've read the Bible or to study out a subject, but to know the subject himself. You know, I'm going to share a testimony here briefly as we close. Each one of us is here because God has summoned us here. If you don't believe that, uh, I'm going to share this with you. Back in 2012, I had cancer surgery, and I didn't feel very good after that surgery. I remember still having the incision, but I had this newspaper come to me, and it said there was a Jamie George concert here at the Anderson Church. Christmas concert. And if I'm remembering correctly, it was 2012. Maybe my cancer brain wasn't working well back then, or maybe it's still not working. Maybe it's a blank. I don't know. Because I was on all kinds of meds. But I remember sitting back there in the back of the sanctuary, hearing this beautiful music. And I remember during one of the pauses in the music, God whispered something to me. Just one word. And it was the word Wenanchee. And if you don't know anything about Joe Kidder or the, what happened up in Washington years ago, there was a church that was trying to seek Jesus and basically he went there and said, I'm gonna, you know, maybe they need to change. But eventually he came to the point where he needed to be the one to change. And the church, God used the church to change him. And it was up in Wenatchee. So there I was, and I'm sitting back there, and I hear this, this voice. And so I visit the next morning. I'm still in pain. I had to leave early that night. I had to leave early the next day too. And I hear the same whisper right back there in the back pew. And then I remember one time I was up in the valley after all that stuff, uh, the surgery, and then the Lyme disease took over. I had to deal with that. And I was racked with pain, and I was driving, and I was coming down the hill, and I was saying, Lord, maybe someday, because I physically, I don't know how long I can keep doing this for. I was driving a huge uh, route of th just three churches, the big, biggest route I've ever had as far as the amount of time it took. Lord, maybe someday I could work down there in the valley. And I just tucked it away. And then something happened. I was down at a prayer conference, which, by the way, Joe Kidder was there talking about, what, talking about Wenanchee. And your president comes up to me and says, Murray, have you ever prayed about going down working in the valley? And I said, well, what do you have in mind? And he talked about Anderson. And they had developed a list from you guys' criteria and all of that stuff. And basically they thought I was local. I fit that list. I'm like, I never, I never thought about that. I ought to pray about it. And he was pretty insistent that I pray about it. <laughs> so I prayed about it. Came to the interview here, talked to you fine folks, and I left kind of like, all right, Lord, I think I feel all right about this. At first I was like, I'm not even done in the hills yet. I've got plenty of work to do there, but I don't know physically I can be the one to do it. And so I accepted that call. And here we are today hearing words about Jesus that I need to hear. This sermon is not just about you hearing it. Each week as I put these together, the Lord is saying, as I'm, even as I'm speaking it to you, the Lord is convicting my mind and saying, Murray, these words are for you. You are at Anderson. Not to help the people of Anderson Church. That, that's going to happen. You are here because I want you to be here. I have summoned you here to learn of me. 
I never would have even had time to put together those devotional guides or the things that I am working on in my own personal life. I would have just gone five chapters a day like I've always done. And I would have known about Jesus and known facts about Jesus, but I would not have known him as deeply as I've learned to know him here. That's why I believe in the oneness. We need that. That's why I keep talking about it because I have seen it work so powerfully in my life through you. And then out of that overflows where we then go from here. And the devil has tried to distract me and get me calls elsewhere. But I keep saying no because my wife and I feel this is where we need to be. And I believe the same thing has happened to you or you wouldn't be here. God has summoned you by name. Ephesians says, before the foundation of the world, he has called us, spoken us. Maybe not a whisper like I had back there, but he has spoken our names and brought us all together in his providence here. So I believe in the idea of oneness, and I believe that together we are going to reach Anderson and beyond, but only as we know Jesus personally as our foundation. That's what we have to keep doing. And if you keep hearing me talk about him, it's because I, I don't have any other message at this time. Let's all keep knowing Jesus. Let's come together and be one. And then out of that, let's overflow to our community around us. Next week, I have to put a plug in for this ministry. Sabbath Keepers is coming here again. We, we asked them to share a testimony with you of how out of their relationship with Jesus, they were sharing in Sturgis. So next week, they'll be coming and sharing that. You may share in other ways. Your overflow may look different than mine. But let's all have that oneness and overflow to the world around us. Our closing song, I put it right down here below this. It's called, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. You'll find that tie, that uniting link is Jesus. Let us all unite with him and then share out of our hearts. If you'd like to stand, feel free. be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that Still be joined in 
Father in heaven, we pray that soon and very soon that meeting will take place before your throne. But until then, guide us to have this oneness that the Bible talks about, that they have had since the beginning of the Bible all the way down through the end, this uniting mission of Jesus, this love for him. Give us that oneness in our personal devotions as we come together corporately, and then as we leave this place, help us to overflow to those around us. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.